0: We are going to get started. Thanks for being here this morning. If you're ready to hear from the Lord today, we're in the middle of uh, what I consider to be a very important three-week series uh, for our church as we're addressing the mission, the vision, and the strategy, the, the why, the what, and the how of, of all that we do. So today, uh, we're going to be talking about vision or the, the what. what, what we do to fulfill the mission. Uh, But before we get into all that, I I do want to take a second and and just recognize the date. Uh, Today's obviously September 11th, and and we all know what that means uh, as it relates to our country, certainly, and and I mainly mention it because all that we're talking about in this series, uh, what we do, the mission we have, it's it's made much easier uh, because of the freedom that we have because of the freedom that we have in this country. And, and throughout our country's history, men and women have died for that freedom, obviously, with direct response directly related to September 11th, men and women died because others hate our freedom, um, and even more specifically, hate our Christianity. Um, not that you know we're a Christian nation, per se, but, but that's what we're perceived as. And I think it it should continue to be our prayer that God allows that freedom to continue on, because, because again, I mean, it, it certainly makes it easier for us to accomplish what God has before us. And you know, the mission is the mission, no matter the circumstance. If we're a communist country, the mission God gives us doesn't change, and we're still to work to accomplish it. And our strategies have, would have to change, and we'd have to go about it differently. But the mission never changes. And, and, and the fact is God has been good to us as a country for many years. And I, and I think that's changing for righteous reasons. Uh, but I think we still need to pray just for the freedom that, to share the gospel. Because the enemy is strong. The forces against the church are strong. And so we need to be strong. We need to be strong in the Lord and, and remain vigilant. But I do hope you take a little time just to remember all the sacrifices um, this morning, and, and use it as motivation to be more involved in sacrificing your life uh, for something eternal. Uh, but then, on a happier note, September 11th is also my daughter Kate's 13th birthday today. So, so welcome to the teenage years, baby. But uh, back to the business at hand here. What we're talking about this morning: the vision. Of the church or the what. Last week we looked at the why, the mission, and to sum up that sermon, to sum up last week in one sentence, this this would be it. Our mission, the mission of the church, the mission of, of this church is to worship God by making disciples. I think I put that on your outline sheet there. To worship God by making disciples. That's the prescription for how we worship God today. And you know, worship is an interesting title is so broad. There's so many ways to define it. You know, we'll, we'll always go back to the first mention in Genesis 22 and, and talk about sacrifice. And, you know, there's, there's sacrifice and surrender that you see in that, in Genesis 22, because Abraham says that the lad and I, we are going to worship. And for Abraham, it was sacrifice. For Isaac, it was surrender. And, and so as we sacrifice who we are and what we have, to the Lord, as we surrender to the Lord, the way that plays out today is we do that in making disciples. As we, we saw that very clearly from, from Matthew chapter 28 uh, last week. That, that was our study last Sunday. But I told you in that, in that study, a lot goes into making disciples. You know, we think, okay, disi- making disciples, that's discipleship. And we have personal discipleship. We have 18 lessons. That's what it is. Well, that. That's part of it, that's a little bit of it, but that's certainly not all of it. And everything we do and will do is about that end of making disciples. So after understanding the why and the importance of the why, we now need to understand the what, what we do to fulfill the mission God has given us. And that's really how we define vision. So our vision is what we do to advance the mission. And we need a vision because it's one thing to say, go accomplish the mission. Go make disciples. But it's another thing to know exactly what that means and what that looks like. And especially what that looks like for us specifically. So today I'm going to give you four guiding principles that will outline and define the vision of First Baptist Church, the What we do in order to make disciples. And we find the pattern for this definition in John chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles with you and you haven't already turned there, I invite you to do so. I invite you to turn to John chapter 17. And and we'll be focusing our study on verses 6 through 21 this morning. And John chapter 17 would have chronologically, it, it would have occurred before Matthew 28 before giving of that Great Commission. It was even before Jesus was crucified. But what we see in John 17 is all that Christ did to get his disciples ready to fulfill the instruction of Matthew 28. In fact, John 17 is a a prayer of Jesus to his Father. And in that prayer, he lays out all that he's done In training his disciples and he asked his father to use them and to glorify, use them to glorify him after he is gone from this earth. It's really, John 17, it is an amazing, amazing chapter. We're we're just going to brush the surface on on all that's in this chapter. It's one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible, at least in my opinion. I, I think it's the greatest prayer in the Bible. And I I want you to just think about this for a second. Think about what the Holy Spirit is allowing us the privilege of seeing here in John chapter 17. Because through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we get to listen in as God the Son converses with God the Father shortly before he is about to give his life as a ransom for you and me. And we get to be kind of that fly on the wall and listen in to this conversation he's having with his father, and it's amazing. I mean, this is the true Lord's Prayer, but it's, actually, it's a prayer he actually prayed. But it's an amazing prayer, and we get great insight to what it was Jesus expected his disciples to do in order to fulfill the Great Commission. And from the very beginning of the passage we see that it's all about God's glory. And that's right where we started last week. Because our life, your life, my life is about God's glory. It all goes back to that. And the way we glorify God is we worship him. And we worship him as we live out his life to fulfill the Great Commission. And I showed you that in, in, in multiple verses last week. So if you, if you missed that, you can go back and listen to those. But this aspect of God's glory is the glue that connects the mission, the vision, the strategy of how we do what we do. So to, just to bring us into our study, I want to start in, in John chapter 17 and verse 1. I want to read those first five verses to kind of set the context and, and set the foundation for where we'll be going today. So John chapter 17 I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And these five verses set the context of where we're going. And, and you find the, a form of the word glory or glorify five times in those five verses. Because, again, that is what everything is about including what his disciples were going to do from this point forward after Jesus was gone. And and that's what we're going to see. We're going to see what Jesus did with them to get ready, to get them ready, how he made disciples. So it's a pretty good pattern to follow. If we're going to follow a guy, um, you know, on on making disciples, Jesus is a pretty good place to start. He did pretty well with, with making disciples. And, and that is the work that he was talking about in verse 4. Jesus said, I have finished the work that thou, which thou gavest me to do. Well, I mean, so you've got to ask yourself, what work is he talking about? Because he hasn't even gone to the cross yet. And the work is, is making disciples. The work is preparing these 12 men, Not only 11 made it, but pre- prepare these 12 men to fulfill the great commission. You see, if Jesus hadn't invested into those 12 men, the gospel would have died with Jesus on the cross because they had to take it to the world. So this work was about his disciples and and when that was accomplished, he could then move on to his next work and that was dying for you and me, which he finished as well, by the way, we know that from John chapter 19 and verse 30. It says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. He finished that work. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And, and man, listen, praise the Lord that Jesus finished all the work that God gave him to do. And we should follow his example. Because as we talked about last week, we have work to do, we have a job to complete, we have a mission to accomplish. But we need to know what that means, and we're going to see it by drilling down into this prayer. So I told you last week this three-week series is like a funnel, right? We start at the top, and we give you the why and the the broad broad view, the broad mission, and now we're going to drill down a little bit more to say, okay, wh- what this looks like, and and what it is we need to do to accomplish that mission and give you the vision. And then next week we're really going to drill down into, into the specifics. So uh, we're in the middle part of the funnel today. So with that foundation, in that context, I want to read John 17, verses 6 through 21, and learn the what to our why. So Jesus goes on to pray. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they believe that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them thy word, and the world hated them, because they're not of the world even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. That they all may be one, as Thou Father art in Me, and I in Thee, and they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me. Right, let's pray, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to You uh, today, and I, I ask You to to speak clearly today. I, I pray that, that that Your Word, the the words that You want, um, go forth from my mouth. And Lord, I I'm I'm keenly aware this morning. That I'm unable to do it, and so Lord, I just I pray that that you speak, and and Lord, you move me out out of the way, and um, in this flesh and in who I am, Lord, I pray that um, man that you don't let me get in the way of what you want to communicate this morning, and I feel the importance, um, I I feel the urgency uh, of the message, and I and I feel an inability to deliver it, so Lord, I ask you to do it. And I pray that everything that is, um, is said is true to your word. I pray that it's honoring to you. I pray that you're glorified. I pray that you speak to our hearts. We each have something, Lord, that we need to hear this morning. And so I pray that, that you, you speak where we need it. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Uh, we'll be attentive to your word. And we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, so starting in, in verse 6, we read those first five verses. And then starting in verse 6, you see a transition. So Jesus transitions in this conversation between he and his father to to begin focusing and talking about the men that God had given him to train and disciple. And that's what he goes down through the rest of this chapter. He's focused on these men and the job that they have to do. So he moves to the work that he talked about there in verse 4 that he was given to do. and, And ultimately how he even will get glory, how God will get glory after he leaves the earth. And the work that he describes with these 12, 11 men gives us the pattern for what we need in our lives and in this church in order to fulfill the mission that we've been given. And this is, here's where it starts. It all starts in the key spot. If we get this wrong, we get everything else wrong. And this is our first guiding principle in making disciples. We're to exalt the word. We're to exalt the word. Look back at verses 6 through 8 to see the pattern. It says, I have manifested thy name unto the men, which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me and they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee and they believed that thou didst send me. You see, the instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples were the words that formed the word that his father had given him. And listen, because this is the key. This is really the key to everything. His disciples received them believed them, and kept them. They knew they were the truth because they knew Jesus was truth. He had told them that very explicitly in John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And they believed it. They believed him. They believed he was who he said he was. John chapter 6, verses 68 and 69 says, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. See, eternal life comes through words. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. You see, they had known surely that I came out from thee. That's what John 17 verse 8 says. You see, there was no question in their mind that he was truth and therefore everything he said was truth because they received and believed them. But not only the things that he said on this earth, they knew that all of God's words were truth. And we believe the very same thing. And it's interesting because Jesus starts this discourse saying that he had manifested God's name unto them. And of course, what an important name that is. Philippians 2.9 says it's a name above every name. And yet, as many of you know, Psalm 138 verse 2 tells us this. It says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name in thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So, when it comes to making disciples, it must start with the correct view of God's Word. Because if we view His Word like it's not enough or it is somehow deficient, then so will the disciples we make. And praise the Lord, that's been the stance of this church for many years. As, as long as I'm leading this church, it will remain the stance. That we have. The Word of God will be the center of everything we do. It will form the basis and the foundation for how we fulfill the mission. So we need to be like the original disciples with His Word. We need to receive them, we need to believe it, and we need to keep it. And that last part, to keep His Word, it's interestingly important. Because if we're instructed to keep it, that means it can be lost. You see you see this very principle in the the gospel parable of the sower and the seed. Specifically, if you look at the Luke 8 account of that parable. and, And in that parable, a man sows a seed in various environments. And some of the seed goes by the wayside and it's trodden down. With some of it, the fowls of the air devour it. With some of it, it's sown on a rock and it doesn't take root. Still other seed, is, seed is, is sown amongst thorns and is choked out. But finally, there is seed sown on good ground that brings forth fruit. And down to verse 11 of that parable, of Luke chapter 8, 11, we see the definition. It says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. But verse 15 is the key. Because it says, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, what do they do with it? They keep it and bring forth fruit and patience. And in this case, the word didn't just fall to the ground and get stepped on because, because it, or, or choked away or, or carried away by the birds. No, it was seeded into a person's heart. And they kept it. And they believed it. And they built their life around it. And this needs to be our plan with the word of God as well. Because you should know, you need to know, that there is an enemy out there that is trying to steal your Bible from you. And listen, stealing the word of God was the first act that that enemy did on this earth. In Genesis Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, when he said to Eve, yea, hath God said. Then he cast doubt in her minds. But but back to the Luke 8 parable. We skipped over some verses in there, but but let me show you one more that we skipped over that was in the middle. Luke eight verse twelve says, Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. You see, the devil's coming. And he wants to take away the seed of the word of God from you. And of course he wants to do it to the lost people, but he wants to do it to saved people as well. And for a saved person, he can't take away your salvation. We are eternally secure. That's that's one of my favorite doctrines of the Bible. But he can take away your belief and trust in God's word if you are not careful. Listen, everything we face in this life, it we, is, is answered by God's word. And therefore, it's what Satan attacks. And the attack can be subtle. The devil's a roaring lion. He's also an angel of light. And it means he knows how to t- attack us. And it means he knows how to get us off track very subtly. And it can happen without us even seeing it. Psalm 119, verse 101 is an interesting verse. It says, I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. And and I just want you to think about that verse because I think think this gets to what's so subtle and therefore scary about the enemy in this regard because do you see what is considered the opposite of keeping his word? It's walking an evil way. So when we don't Receive and believe and and keep his word that we're fed every Sunday or that we hear from him in our personal time with him. Yeah, it's considered evil. But we don't think like that because you have an enemy that doesn't want you thinking like that. He wants you to think it's not that big of a deal. You know, God doesn't really care if you apply that message, you know, as long, as long as you're trying, you know, did, did God really say that? Like the, the thing that that, that that guy told you on Sunday, did God really say that? Is that book really enough? Isn't it pretty old and outdated? With everything we know today, can anyone really expect you to believe that book is Perfect. And he wants to throw doubts on the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. But we got to fight back, man, especially as we make disciples. We make disciples by exalting God's Word. That has to be the foundation. That means this that means we view God's Word as fully authoritative and fully sufficient in all matters of faith and practice. Fully authoritative and fully sufficient. In all matters pertaining to life and godliness, and, and the issue of authority and sufficiency are two different issues, and you've heard me talk about it before, but again, this series is a reminder, and, and just to set in stone who we are and, and where we're going but authority of Scripture, sufficiency of Scripture, two different issues. You can believe in the authority of Scripture and not believe in the sufficiency. You can say, you know, well, I know it's authoritative in what it talks about, but it just doesn't talk about everything. I mean, certainly not all the stuff that we deal with in the, this 21st century, where we're, where we're at today. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, you can't, you can't think of a Bible that, you know, men wrote. covers everything and is sufficient in all areas of life. And, and again, I've, I've told you this before, but... You see this predominantly come through in counseling scenarios, and and they don't want to hear what God's word has to say about a particular issue, but but they'll listen to other things, and so there's there's a there, there's a, a philosophy of integration. So you know you have in a in a counseling spectrum you have you know psychology. On one side, you know, naturalistic, scientific view. You have um, biblical counseling on the other side, and then you have a scale of integration. So the integrating of psychology and with, with Bible. And, you know, you can, you can choose where you want to be on that scale. I'm, I'm going to stick on the biblical counseling side. Um, but, but the problem is anywhere you're at on that, I mean, just out of love, you're listening to, and you're reading from, and you're take, taking counsel from people that do not, do not believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. And they, they believe it's not enough, 100%. And that there's other methods that are, that are better. And it's subtle, man, it's subtle, because a lot of it sounds good, and it sounds, I was like, well, man, look at this, 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 it even sounds biblical, man, until you really start to drill into it, and it's satanic from its root. And, and, and you, might, you might think I'm weird in that, you might even think I'm wrong. I don't. <laughs> I've studied it. And you probably haven't. And I I say that with all respect, I promise you. We believe that the word of God is enough or we don't. And if you think that the word of God is not enough, you are out of line with what the Bible has to say about itself. Psalm 19, it's a great chapter. It starts with God's general revelation of himself. Those first 6 verses, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God and he starts with this general revelation. Then once you get to verse 7, he moves into his specific revelation. And here's what God says about his specific revelation in verse 7. He says the law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You need to see right? The word of God is what opens and enlightens your eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord that we find in his word are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. The word of God has warning. And in keeping, in what? In keeping of them, there's great reward. So it's sufficient, it's perfect. It's enough. It's also authoritative. Listen, without one final authority, that means you get to make the decisions. And there's nothing absolute. And listen, I know, I don't like what it says all the time either. And it pricks my heart and it points out things that are wrong. And I, and I, and I like to, to hear other sides of things. But man, this, is, this book, it's, it's everything. It's, what, it's all that we need. It's it's the absolute, it's the final authority, And, and specifically in English, through the preservation process, that book is the authorized King James Bible. You know our stance on that. The details of that are for another message. But our perspective of it, our view of it, will be that. It, this book, and this book alone is our authority. And we'll exalt his word as we have as a church for many, many years. And we should praise the Lord for that. Not many do anymore. But his word is what tells us the specifics of all we're to do in this life, including our second guiding principle for making disciples. Because after Jesus talks about how his disciples exalted his word by receiving them, believing them, and keeping them, then he starts to pray for them specifically. And in this prayer, we see Jesus edify his worshipers. Edify his body. Look back at John 17, starting at verse 9. He starts out, and you just see his love. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. He doesn't care about the world. He cares for his people. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. That they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition. That the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee and these things I speak in the world. That they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word and the world has hated them. Because they're not of the world even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And in these verses, we see the depth of Jesus's love for his disciples, that he's pouring out in this prayer that again, we we get to listen in on between him and his father, and just how much he loves his disciples. He's praying for their unity in verse 11. He's praising God that they didn't fall away in verse 12, except for Judas, that the scripture would be fulfilled. He's praying for their joy in verse 13 to be fulfilled through him and that God would keep them from evil. He knows that they have to be in the world. He sends them to the world, but he's begging his father to keep them from evil while they're in the world. And all that describes just his love and edification. It's the building up of another believer, encouraging, holding accountable, loving. And that's what Jesus was doing in his prayer. But not only that, that's what Jesus did in his life with these men as he trained them and spent time with them and sent them on a mission. And for us, this gets to a personal connection with each other, a personal connection with each disciple, with each member here. And, 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 you know, we'll, we'll keep the funnel going down. We'll talk more specifically on how we do that next week. But this is where we stand beside each other as helpers and we put in place the things that we see from the pattern of Jesus. Paul certainly did that. Edification was, was his model of building churches. 2 Corinthians 10.8 says, For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, he's come in, he started this church, said, I have the authority here, but what's he have it for? Which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction. I should not be ashamed. So, Paul was given authority so he could edify the Corinthians, so he could build them up. That's exactly what he did. He built up that church. And this is what true teachers, true men of God, do they build churches, they build lives. That is their focus. It's, it's, it's why God gave us pastors and teachers. That's what Ephesians 4 says, verses 11 and 12. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. But it's not only pastors that edify. It's all of us. We all play a part in building godliness, building you know, the, 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 that disciple's heart into the life of someone else. That's certainly true of you parents, into your children, our disciples that, you know, that we pair up, our friends. We should all be doing it. We should all be a part. And we talked about you know, this some last week, but we're in this together. So let me say this boldly but lovingly. You're either a part of what we're doing to fulfill the mission or you're not. But I I want you to be a part of it. I want all of us, I want everyone in here to be a part of it. Listen, the New Testament knows nothing of isolated believers. The New Testament knows nothing of isolated believers. Wherever you find saints, the goal for them is to always be in fellowship. Starting even with the very first Jewish church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. And they continue steadfastly, Acts 2.42 says, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So let me ask you, would you consider yourself to be in fellowship with us? With what we are doing? Because if not, if the answer is no, then you cannot fulfill the mission that God has given you. The vehicle, the structure is this church. And the truth is, God's people need each other. Just think of the group of disciples that Jesus is talking about and praying for here in John chapter 17. In the days after this prayer, the 11 remaining men would discover just how weak they really were. And how much they needed each other's encouragement and edification. I don't don't want you to ever be isolated. And in that same vein, under this same pattern, I don't ever want this church to be isolated. It's important for you to stick with believers that strengthen your relationship with God, and that same goes for this church. That's why I view our living faith fellowship of churches as such an important thing, as such an important thing. And since it's important to me, I really hope it's important to you. And let me give you one way that you can show that it's important to you. That's by attending our Certainty Conference. October 2nd through the 5th. Sunday through Wednesday, the topic is going to be worship. We'll go back to the goal: glorifying God. We'll worship. Kenny Morgan is going to be speaking in the evenings, and it's going to be good. I talked to him for quite a while yesterday. I promise you, you will learn something. You will be challenged. You will be edified. I want you to be here. I'm asking you to come. I'm asking every person in this room, every person listening to me to be here. I think it's that important. And I promise you that it will build you up. You will meet other pastors. And if you come, I hope you take the time to do that, to meet with them and talk with them. We have fellowship built in. after every evening service, we'll have fellowship and coffee and food in the barn to go spend time together, spend time with other believers that whether we agree with everything perfectly with them are making disciples, they're exalting God's word across this world. They're doing it like we do it. Go meet them. Go spend time with them. Go love on them a little bit and let them love on you. I promise you it will be worth it. And it will build you up and it will build them up as well. It will edify both ways. That's part of what we're here to do. It's part of what makes what we do glorifying to God. That was his prayer for his disciples. He said, Father, make them one as we are one. As the Son and the Father are one. God doesn't like disunity. Now, there are reasons to, to not be unified. Of course. If they don't exalt God's word and edify and they don't do the things that we do, and they don't teach the doctrine that we teach, we're not gonna have fellowship with them. But if they do, let's do it. It will build you up, and it's it's part of what we're here to do, to build up. Listen, it's easy to tear down. It's easy to tear down with our words, it's easy to tear down with our actions. I just don't see where tearing down is part of the mission. It's wasted time. Let's build up. Let's focus on doing good. Like Paul tells us in Galatians 6.10, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And again, we'll talk more about how we do this next week here in the context of this church. And, and the primary avenue is life groups. Life groups that started last Wednesday, and if you're not a part of one, I think you should be. You should come next Wednesday. You're actually going to hear from our life group leaders next week. So next week is going to be a little bit of a different message. I'm going to challenge you. I'm trying to challenge you every week, but I'm going to challenge you a little bit more next week. But you're going to hear from our life group leaders. You're going to hear from some of the things, how we accomplish this vision and and the practical ways that you can be involved or stay involved. Listen, if these are the very last days, which I believe they are, I wanna go out swinging. So let's all swing together. If we swing together, we carry a harder punch. So we see the disciple making pattern from Jesus. It includes exalting his word, edifying his body, his worshipers, and then third, our third guiding principle, we see Jesus equip them for the work. We're to equip for the work. He was there to build them up, to strengthen them, but that was for a reason. It wasn't just for their own strength. It was because there was work for them to do. Look at verse John, John 17, verses 17 through 19. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they might also be sanctified through the truth. This section starts with the word Sanctify. And we've talked about this before, but the word sanctify means to make holy or to set apart. And what we see is he tells us sanctify them because they were being set apart for the work that we see in verse 18, to be sent into the world. And the sanctification process in the life of the believer, which is done through truth, sanctify them through through thy truth. Thy word is true, so, so you know we talk about sanctification, living like we, uh, we get saved, we got to grow in the Lord. We have this lifelong process of sanctification. It's only done it through the word, through God's word, through the truth. But that sanctification process in the life of the believer is the equipping process for the work that we have to do. And listen, this is is a work that we can't do on our own, that we're not supposed to do on our own. We can't do it in our flesh. We're to do it through the power of Christ. We looked at 1 Corinthians 15, 10 last week. I want to show it to you again. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Paul, more than anybody, knew the work that was before him, and he was after it. He was about it. He labored more abundantly than they all, but look at what he says after that. Yet not I... But the grace of God which was with me, I didn't do it in my flesh. I did it through him. He explains it further in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. He says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given me to you. Word, Okay, so Paul was given a work. It was a job to do. It was to take the gospel of the Gentiles. That, that's who Paul was. He was given that dispensation of the grace of God. Make disciples. And look at how he was to do it. Just skip down, and I have verse 7 on here. Whereof I was made a minister of this job, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. You see, to do this work successfully, you need to be equipped. To do any work successfully, you need to be equipped, but especially this one. You need to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh, You of the reason of the hope that is in you. So, like a physical child, we need to bring you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we do that through discipleship and MTT and LFBI. You're going to hear about that next week as well. But it's not only that, it's not only discipleship and MTT and LFBI. You live out the sanctification process as you get involved in ministry as you apply what you are learning. So the equipping, that sanctification process, it has an education component, but it also has an experience component. We don't want you to only sit in a classroom. That's certainly part of it. You need to learn God's word as absolutely part of the equipping process. But it's not just that. We need you to be involved in people's lives too. You need to live out what you're being taught every week. Because knowledge alone puffs up. It's 1 Corinthians 8.1. Now it's touching things offered unto idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, charity edifieth. Right? We're about edification. That's why sanctification isn't just head knowledge. You must receive and believe and keep. You live it out together with us. Because the goal for learning the word of God isn't isn't just to to get more interesting facts, right? It's not information, it's transformation. It's the goal of learning the word of God. It's grasping who Christ was, building that personal relationship on an intimate level, and build that relationship as you live out his life and his power in this church with other believers to the world. So it's not just about knowledge itself. Knowledge puffeth up. So knowledge needs a foundation so that you can do something with it to be sanctified. Knowledge alone doesn't lead to sanctification. And I shared this with you a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to share it to you again. And This is a reminder. Knowledge always comes after things like virtue and grace in the Bible. So 2 Peter 1.5, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, what? Not knowledge? No. Add to your faith virtue, And add to your virtue knowledge. 2 Peter 3.8 says, but grow in what? Knowledge? No, but grow in grace and in the knowledge. There's an order to that. God's very specific in how he does things. And knowledge is always second. Knowledge alone doesn't equip you. Knowledge needs a foundation. Knowledge alone doesn't glorify God. But the consistent application of that knowledge will. That's how you become equipped for the work. And that's what Jesus did with his disciples. He spent time with them. He ministered unto them and with them. He taught them. He put them to work. He watched them live out what they were learning. He brought them along in the mission, all of it, and he prepared them for the day that he was gonna leave. And that's exactly what we wanna do here. Every person in this room is important. Every person in this room has a, has a job to do. Part of what we're doing here. So we see verses like Ephesians 4.1. He calls it a vocation. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you, you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. You have a job. The Bible calls it a number of different things. It calls it our course in different places. He defines it, Paul defines it with another word in Acts 20.24 20, that we're familiar with. That's ministry. You can see the Bible defining itself there, but none of these things move me. Neither count on my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul also uses it in Colossians four seventeen when he's giving instruction to Archippus. He says, going to, to say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received of the Lord, that thou fulfil it." So the work that you need to be equipped for is ministry. That's making disciples. That's that's spending time with each other and encouraging and building up and holding accountable and and showing them what the life of Christ is. As you spend time together in life groups and ministry in the various avenues that we have, we'll talk more about them next week. God has called you and given you a work to accomplish on this earth through this church. Do you know what it is? Are you equipped for it? We're here to equip you. But but, so you need to. You need to be involved. You need to get get equipped. Because there's no telling where the work of the Lord will take you. And that brings us to the last guiding principle, the last element of the pattern of Jesus' training of his disciples. And that is we've got to evangelize the world. We've got to evangelize the world. Because where did Jesus send his disciples? Into the world. You know, and I, and I think I, I mentioned this in passing last week. So, you know, this is John 17, the Great Commissions, Matthew 28. By Acts 17, not, not that many years later, I mean, 20, 25 years later, by that, maybe, by that time, Acts 17, 6 says, what started there in Jerusalem with those 11 men, had turned the world upside down. <sighs> Listen, just, if there are, verse, there are verses like that, that, man, they, they just, they give me chills, and they just, they just, I don't know what they do to me. They do something weird to me, but that's one of them, man. <laughs> I want to be a part of turning the world upside down. And I get it, this is a different era. And I, I don't care, I get it, it's Laodicea, and, and people don't respond, and yeah, all of it. But we can still turn the world upside down just by being faithful. It's not our work to do anyway. God does the work. And the power of Christ, let's just be faithful to it. Let's be focused on the right things. Look back at John chapter 17 and verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through the word. And they all may be as one as thou, uh, as thou father art in me and I in thee, that they may also be one in us. And this is what he sends them in the world to do, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. They're to believe on Jesus. It's the mission we've been given. That it comes full circle. We're to make disciples by evangelizing. And what we what are we to do with those that we win to the Lord? Well, we're to teach them to exalt the word and to edify each other, and we're to equip them to do the work of evangelizing the world. That's the what to the why. It's what Jesus told his disciples from the very beginning of his relationship with them. That that was what their life was to be about. Mark chapter 1, verses 17 and 18 says, And Jesus said unto them, those disciples, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And and fish in the Bible have always been likened to men, and followers of Jesus have always been likened to fishermen. This is the, I mean, this is just the start of making disciples. It it has to start there. That's what we're here on earth to do. Jesus has a job for us to do. So he didn't take us to heaven when we got saved. We're still here. There has to be a reason. There's a purpose. It's to worship him by making disciples. And we're to do that everywhere. We're to do it all over the world. Proverbs 1130 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. So listen, if we want this church, if you want your life to really be about the thing God cares about, then soul winning evangelism has to be a part of that. It's our responsibility. And then we bring them in to the fellowship of this this church and these believers. And we edify them. We build them up. We strengthen them. We equip them. And we send them out. And, And... Listen, we're we're to be a hospital to the sick. We have the answer that reconciles man back to God. And it's what we're here to do, to share it with the world, through our individual lives, through our church ministries, through missions trips, through that sort of thing. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.18 that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have, have a job, a ministry. It's a ministry of reconciliation. It's evangelism. It's explaining to people that God in Christ has made a way to man. It's John 3, 16. It's a message we share. The good news of Jesus Christ. But, but here's what I want you to get out of this. The good news comes from us. We're to share the gospel as we speak from our experience. That's the responsibility we've been given. And, 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 and we should take that job very seriously. And, and I don't say that to guilt you. It's not about guilt and manipulation. That's not what I'm trying to do here. I don't want to guilt you into anything. I want you to do it for the right reasons. But what I want is you to understand what happened when you got saved. What I want is you to understand the grace of God. Because when you understand that and you understand the exchange of life that occurred when you gave your life to Jesus, then evangelism is just a natural outpouring what else can you do and tell people about what God did for you and you can't program it many churches have tried it's not the way to do it that should be all of it. that's all of our jobs as we go out into this world and we just take Jesus with us wherever we go so like I asked you last week who's willing to go because part of this vision is absolutely worldwide missions and church planning. That's the church that we are, and that's the church that we'll continue to be. But it all starts with exalting His Word. If we don't get that right, nothing else will matter. But when we do get that right, then we can edify the body of Christ, we can equip that body for the work, and then we can all evangelize as we go. And for some of us, that's just across the street. But for others, for a select few, that will be Hungary or Albania or even Malawi. Who knows? But let's be willing participants in the mission God has given us as we buy into the vision of his word through this church. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And as the praise team's coming up, I just want you to to take this time to consider what the Lord said, spoke to you this morning. If anything, I pray that he did. You know, I, again, I, in my prayer, I, I understand that I know what I want to say. I know what I, wanna, I, what I want you to hear, and I don't, I don't have a, a very good idea or ability to do it. Um, I'm very passionate about it, it I, you know, and, I, and I can't express that. Um, but I want you to ask yourself what it means to you, and, 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 and do you exalt his word? Do you edify? Are you part of edifying? Are you, are you equipped for the work that God has for us to do in this world? And, and those can be tough questions sometimes for us to answer, but they're questions that are, that are worth asking. And so I want you to ask yourself those questions, and I want you to take this time, and I want you to take this final song, and I want you to be honest with yourself and, and honest with the Lord. And if you don't know, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, man, I'd love to talk to you because I could tell you what he did for me. And I could show you exactly how you can enter into a relationship with God. So if you're here and you've never taken the time to place your faith or or don't understand even what it means, man, come talk to us. Don't, Don't let people get in your way. Don't let pride get in your way. Humble yourself and seek out Jesus. And, and who he is, and, and what he can do for you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for, thank you for your prayer of John 17. It's, uh, it's so amazing, and it's so, so much deeper that I didn't even scratch the surface on, on it hardly. And, and Lord, there's so much there, and we see your love for your disciples, and, and that's us too. I didn't even mention in that prayer how you're praying for those that will believe, in the future that's us you were praying for us back there then and lord you have the same love for us that you had for those 11 men and lord thank you for that and shame on us for where we don't love you back we don't we're prideful and we won't worship you the way you desire we want to define it we want to do it on our time on our schedule Lord, I pray that that you convict us if we need it, and, and you just continue to use us. You continue to use this church for your glory, that we're about that. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.